Time to get going. We've got three sets of sheets in front of you. Uh, hopefully we'll uh, get to the, to the blue one. Last Sunday, I cleared up the confusion that I caused from the Sunday before that concerning the Saxon question of are we church and do we have the ministry? We saw that, unlike the Roman church, which said, well, as long as you're in a apostolic succession or a continual laying on of hands going all the way down, and you're connected with the head bishop, the pope, great, your church, your church, we're, we're connected uh, with, with that. And unlike the pietism, which had the idea that because we were simply the believers, and well, uh, we're all, if we're believers, then we all have the office, and then we can give it to somebody else. And we said, no, that's not the way the Luther Confessions speak either. The way that they speak is that you are church, or we know where the church is. How do we find the church? Well, wherever the word and sacraments are being rightly preached and administered, there will be believers gathered around that. If you have come to understand the true teaching of God's word, well, then you must have been taught by that group of that office, and therefore, you need to put someone in the office. Of course, your church. It all goes back to the doctrine and the practice. Um, and that's how we know those things. I pushed just a little bit further. And uh, as I got to the end, uh, talking about the office, uh, because I, I mentioned couple things that Walther did to try to uh, safeguard the teaching of the of the office of the ministry, the word. And and as I went forward, there was some questions that regarded that. Um, what I intended to do, in fact, I passed this green sheet out Sunday or two before, so uh, intended to go through it anyway. It'll serve as a good review for for the office, it will also serve as a good answer to the question, what is the priesthood of believers and what's their job then? You've told us a lot about the office, but then you, you said, well, the priesthood isn't this. So what, what is it if it's not the pastoral uh, functions? Uh, so we'll take a look at, at, at those two kind of things as we go through. A good overview... Uh, way to do this is to uh, take a look at a book by Martin Chemnitz called An Enchiridion, uh, similar to uh, a catechism of sorts. It's a, a handbook, a teaching book, entitled Ministry, Word, and Sacraments. Uh, if you don't know Martin Chemnitz, he's considered the second Martin after Martin Luther, and it's often said that uh, without the second Martin, you wouldn't know about the first Martin. 
That is, he did quite a bit to uh, preach and teach and to keep this doctrine alive. Pastor, did the, the uh, first name Martin mean something? Normally, your, your name uh, was chosen based upon when you were baptized. If you were baptized on St. Martin's Day, you got the name Martin. Okay. That's just the way it works. Um, okay, thank you. Alright. In this book, it goes through, similar to the Catechism, question and answers. I'm going to go through the first 32 questions. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I provided for you on this green sheet a summary one sentence, just a phrase, a word, to kind of let you know what I'm going through. Um, I am going to put it up on the board uh, so that you can see it. Um, and I will read from some of it. But just so that you kind of see, I'm, I'm going to go through it rather quickly, uh, less than 15 minutes, in order to explain uh, what, what we have. Okay, question number one under ministry, warden, sacraments. Um, this one starts with five. I'll get to that in just a little bit. It says, what's the nature of the ministry of the church? What's its nature? It goes on to say it's not civil government. It's not that kind of thing. It's an office instituted and ordained by God goes on to say, well then, what is it to do? What then is this office of the minister of the church supposed to do? It lists three things. Note, to feed the church of God with the true, pure, solitary doctrine of the word. Word. Two, to administer and dispense the sacraments. Two. Three, to administer rightly the use of the keys. So, Yes, we're used to probably saying word sacrament as the pastor's job, but it often will add that third one, which is the use of the keys. That is, it is the office of the keys. That's where things are to be used. Question number three, is it right to ordain and admit to the ministry of church, those who uh, have been called, without a proper appropriate solemn examination. Um, should we do it without examining them? It goes on to say, absolutely not. Question four, what do we examine them for? Well, you need to examine the pastors, and when we say examination, we mean seminary training. We mean teaching them in some way, and to check and make sure that they got it. The teachings regarding the call. Uh, the doctrine of the word of God, uh, that they might not, might know rightly how to administer the ceremonies. We would talk about the services that occur in God's house, and that they might know about uh, uh, and examine them for their life and conduct, that it is right and good uh, concerning what they are to do. Shouldn't be anything new. Number five. Uh, may one seek or undertake the ministry of the church who has neither learned the doctrine nor understands nor has the gift to teach others. Now that sounds crazy, you know, but can you give the office out to someone who's not been trained and doesn't know? It says, well, by no means. Why do they say this? 
the Roman church did it. Now, why would they do that? Favors. Favors. Because if you were placed into the bishopric of some church, you got a yearly stipend, whether you did the job or not. And so, yes, they did this, and they said, no, that's not right either. Uh, should someone then, if they have those gifts, if they do know the doctrines and they understand and they have the gift to teach out it, should they, on their own initiative and personal judgment, without the special legitimate call, undertake and claim for himself the office of teaching? So, what if I know the doctrine real well? Should I just, of myself, go in and start doing it? And it says, no, they need to have... A call. They need to be called. We, we have no someone who just puts them forth so, forward without a call uh, to do these things. By no means. Seven. Are they, they to be heard by the church? And can they properly be heard if they do have no legitimate call? Goes on to say, and I'll read this one, No. And for this reason, the prophets and apostles so earnestly emphasized the prerogatives of their call at the beginning of their writings. So Paul begins and says, called to be an apostle. They're always talking. The prophets begin and say, when I was here, God called me. And they give it. Experience shows that those who thrust themselves into ecclesiastical function without a legitimate and regular call experience little blessing of God and contribute little to the upbuilding of the church. Those who have no call and just go forward, uh, um, what happens? Oops. Number eight. Paul says, 1 Timothy 3, he that desires the office of bishop, and, and in this sense, sometimes the scripture uses this as just the pastoral office, desires a good work. Is it necessary for one to wait until he is called? They go on to say, to desire to be in the pastoral office is a good thing. But you do have to wait before you do it until you have a call. So what do you do if you desire to be a pastor? Go to seminary. Go to seminary. Go get trained. Go get that done. The church will examine you. The church will then tell you whether you are approved to go out and do this but you have to wait for the call. Question number nine. And here's where we're getting to uh, a little bit. But all believers are called priests. We talked about this. Each one of you are a priest according to the New Testament. They give some examples. Revelation 1, 6, 5, 10. Particularly 1 Peter 2, 9 is the one that we'll always cite. Uh, these are ones that are in passing, where it, it simply refers to the church in that way. But, therefore, it says, have all, therefore, a general call to the ministry. Somehow, are we all ministers? Are we all in, in the ministry? All who believe are indeed spiritual priests, but we are not all teachers. And he gives examples. Peter explains himself, all Christians are priests, not that all should function without difference in the ministry of the word and sacraments, without a special call, but they should offer spiritual sacrifices. So, we'll come to that a little bit later. This is what the priesthood does, but we don't all have um, this general call. Ten. 
all Christians, yeah, all Christians have a general call to do what? To proclaim the virtues of God. Not a general call, not all to preach the word, to administer the sacraments, to use the keys, no. But to proclaim the virtues of God, to speak about who God is, what he has done, especially family heads, to instruct their households, and it's given that. So, it's true all Christians have a general call to proclaim the gospel of God, to speak the word of God among themselves, to admonish each other from the word of God. Family heads are enjoined to do this with special command as they give their households instructions. But the public ministry of the word and of the sacraments in the church is not to be entrusted to all Christians in general, as we have already shown. So, Chemnitz is so very clear on this matter. Um, and so, you, you, as we go back to uh, some of the other things of um, Walter, and we kind of go, well, um, yes, Luther does speak in, in a little looser language that, that, that could be understood the way Walter did, but when you see the church theologians and all that follow after, you see that nobody understood him the way uh, that this is. All right, so um, that gets us particularly uh, 9 and 10. But this is, I think, of most importance, and this is why I want to kind of to go back over this. For what reason? What reason is it so very important that a minister of the church have a legitimate call? You kind of go, all right, you know, what, what's the big deal? Um, so often people will, uh, as I am maybe insistent or strict upon a particular doctrine in God's word. They go, ah, come on, doctrine, schmockling, you know, what's the big deal? It's close, you know, we all believe in Jesus. What's this all about? Or, or, why do you make so much of the pastoral? You're just protecting your job. That's all you're doing, right? Here is where it really comes down to why is it so important? First of all, one must not think that the pastoral office, the ministry, is done by human arrangement. It's not that we just kind of thought it up ourselves. It's not simply done for the sake of order. Well, I guess we can't all preach. I guess we'll only let one of us do it. No, there are many weighty reasons to consider which teaches many things that's necessary for every minister. First of all, we need to know that God himself deals with the church through the ministry as through ordinary means and instruments. On your green sheet, I put, God wants to work through that man. That's what you need to know. When you see that God ordained this and God puts the man in and God's here, you say, aha, it is God himself that speaks, exhorts, absolves, baptizes, and he does it in the ministry and through the ministry. Oh, well, if, if that's what's going on, yeah, that's good to know. And we need to know that a legitimate or regular call provides these proofs. And we're going to go through and, and talk about that. Next thing is number two. There are very many and necessary gifts that are required for the ministry. For the man that's doing this, he needs a lot. He needs to know that he can ask God for those gifts. God has promised the minister that he will work through that ministry and do it so the pastor can ask about those things. The next thing is number three. The chief thing of the ministry is that God wants to be present in it with his spirit, grace, and gifts and to work effectively. 
Um, Romans 10:15. How shall they who are not sent preach, namely in such a way that faith is engendered by hearing? So we know God wants to use that, and He will work through it. Four and five. The divine call stirs up the ministers. It encourages us. Because we look at ourselves and go, oh, you know, you're requiring me to do this. I need all these gifts. I'm a, a, a sinner. I don't feel worthy. I look at this and go, oh, I don't know if I did that so well. And it keeps telling us, no, no, no. God wants you. Okay. Well, maybe he wants the next bit. Maybe I'm that. No. It encourages us, lest we be frightened away from our job. Five, the hearers are stirred up. In other words, when you see my sinfulness, when you see my failures, when you see, and, and, and you look in yourself and say, I could do that, God. I, you know, I, yeah, I know a whole lot. Oh, man, I saw this other pastor. He's really good. And you go, no, no, no. God called him and put him there. And despite all his foibles, God, I know God is you. So it stirs you up to say, yep, let's go listen to it. Um, that's what this is all about. Uh, all right, so you've got that with number 11 on your sheet. Um, quickly going on. Who then properly has the right to send and call ministers of his church? They make the point it's given uh, uh, to the Lord. The Lord himself is the one who does it. How does he do it? In what way does he do, do it? Um he does it in a twofold way. He either does it without means, talk to the man directly, or he does it through means. What's a call without means? When God calls him directly. That happens with the prophets of old. That happens with the apostles that he calls. And also with Paul himself, the 13th apostle, if you will. And any time God works immediately or directly he always gives miracles to prove so you say well how do I know they always did miracles that was their uh, uh, proof now you also have to be careful just because they do miracles doesn't mean that they can teach you falsehood <laughs> there are those who come bringing miracles and they also want to teach falsehood and God in Ezekiel and, and in some of these says, listen, if they come and want to lead you away to false gods, don't listen to them, even if they have miracles. So, um, that is the immediate way. He goes on uh, to say, Oops. Oh, that's what it is. Sorry. Um, what about, um, what about the fanatics, number 15? Um, are we to believe all the fanatics when they complain, that, uh, when they claim that God has appeared to them? Uh, he talks about the Anabaptists uh, uh, here, and he says, no. If someone comes to you, uh, um, if this morning someone walks into church and comes up to me and says, God told me that I should preach in your church today, I go, get out of here. <laughs> Um, why is that? You know, because this is not the way that God works. Um, uh, um, he has promised to work by uh, means, not without means. 
Should we in these times expect a call from God without means? No. In the New Testament, he has told us, here's the way I'm going to do things. Um, I'm going to do it. Ministers should wait um, until God has given them a regular, immediate call. What is that? Number 17. When any minister is called and appointed to the ministry of the church, indeed by God and divinely, it's not without means, as the prophets and apostles, for immediate call is as much from God as an immediate. They only differ in the manner. How does it happen? Well, the apostles are appointed by elders in every church, by an election of the church. The ministry of the church then was entrusted to Timothy, um, and, as we go on, we'll see that um, not only are there examples, uh, but it gives ways in which it shows that it is to be done, um, uh, that these are called and sent by God. We've already kind of gone through where they are to be examined, uh, they are to be called, they are to be ordained. But in this one in particular, uh, number uh, 20, they can remain on the same. 21. What then? Too far, it stops. What then are the regular means that God wants to use for immediate call? God's going to use the royal priesthood. Now we're back to, he's going to use you, the church, his royal priesthood, just as a husband entrusts to his spouse. It says God is going to entrust to his, Christ is going to give to his spouse, to the church, the keys of the kingdoms. He's entrusted them to them, and they are supposed to then put someone in the office. Um, I talked about this at, at, around my dinner table at lunch uh, last Sunday, and I said, here's the difference, if it, if it, if it helps, the, the example. Um, Walter has this idea that everybody gets it, and then everybody hands it over. And I said, think of it in this way. You are a citizen of the United States, and... The United States has national parks. Who does the national parks belong to? The citizens of the United States. Great. It belongs to us. Now, Mary says to me, Pastor, I'm, I decided to move. I'm going to go build a house somewhere. And I go, where are you going? She goes, on, on Yosemite. I'm going to build a house on there because it belongs to me. And I go, well, you know, I'll visit you in jail, Mary. <laughs> Why? Now, it's been, it belongs to us, but not individually. It belongs to us corporately. Same thing with the office of the ministry. Corporately, you have been given the office of the church, but not individually that you can do whatever you want with it. Um, you can't. So, in this one, as it talks about, it's been given to his church to do stuff. Here's Chemnitz's thing. Now, the reason I go through this is, Walter said, well, it's the laity. 
particularly the voters' assembly, and those those are the ones that get it. And and again, those pastors are getting in the way. Chemnitz goes through again and again and kind of goes. So can the Roman Pontiff uh, assert this to himself and do it all by himself? No, it belongs to the whole church. Then he asks, keep going. Um, is it right? when the Roman pontiff excludes rulers and the laity. No, he's got to include them. It belongs to his whole church. Well, what about the Anabaptists who simply give it to the laity alone, to the common multitude, and they exclude the pastors and the ruler? No, it belongs to the whole church. Well, if the church is really large, can they just do it by themselves and not include the others, just the laity? No, it belongs to the whole church. You do it in order and without confusion. You want to make sure that all of these things go together. Um, I'm not going to read it, but I did give you the entire, if you turn to the back of this green sheet, I gave you the entire uh, question 26, where he goes through and talks about how everybody has their part, right? Uh, There are the pastors who are supposed to train and examine. There is the laity that is supposed to um, give the call and to... uh, um, call a man to to put him into that. There are the pastors, uh, the local ones, who then come and and ordain. Um, And so everybody has their their part with it. And so we see that with with, uh, question 26. 27. Uh, They want to know the right of patronage. Uh, There were some patrons, there were some wealthy people that said, oh yes, I will give to the church, you know, I don't know, $50,000 a year to pay for a pastor. And they said, well, should we ask them about this? And he says, well, of course, if they're part of the church, um, if that's the way things are going, you want to include them as well. And so um, they're not to be completely excluded. Um, Last thing is this, 29... What about this right of ordination? Because again, Walter said, ah, the ordination is nothing. It, it, uh, um, it, it doesn't mean anything. Kemet says this right is to be observed for very weighty reasons. First of all, the reason is that because those who run and have not been sent uh, a call ought to have uh, a public testimony of the church so that we know who is regular, pious, legitimate, and divine. We don't want people running without being sent. Let's make sure that if this happens, we know that the right way has been followed. It's a confirmation. Everybody had their part. And so when you have a... Now, if you do this privately, if we do this on Monday night, and then Sunday you show up and we say, well, here's your new minister and here's the way things are, we kind of go... I don't know, dude. Who called him? How did this happen? You know, but when there's a public ceremony, the pastors are here, the laity are here, we have people stand up, we have a, we kind of go, okay, you know, nobody's objecting. Um, it is a confirmation that the process has been followed. Second, um, 
There is prayers in which we commit in the name of God, this man to the church. Third, the minister promises, he has a solemn vow that he will teach and administer the sacraments according to the word of God in prayer. And fourthly, the church says, yes, we will recognize and receive this man as if God himself were preaching and teaching. Um, Fifth, it's most important that this is ordained, uh, that we might um, uh, commit this uh, with prayer uh, to God, asking for his, his blessing. One more thing. Though the ordination itself is a part of a regular call, needs to happen. Granted, it, it can happen by a pastor in his church with, when a, a pastor room came to us and things of that sort. But if you can include others, you can do it. This needs to all happen. Nevertheless, to be quite technical, the laying on of hands is not the only way that this can happen. In other words, the laying on of hands is an adiaphora itself. The ordination itself is not. Now, why we would all of a sudden decide to do it in a different way, you know, we're going to do it with, uh, um, you know, smacking the guy on the head with a two-by-four or something, and then everybody will know he's the one. You know, I guess you could use something else, another rite, another, you know, put rose petals on his head or something. I don't know. But, I mean, it's this thing was common in the Old Testament, was used in the New. We're just going to keep using it. But, but there's never a place in Scripture that says you have to ordain by the laying on of hands. So that's why we do ordain, and we do use the laying on of hands, but that's <coughs> not really necessary. The call process seems very straightforward to me. The ordination, as related to the settlers that came into the country, that seems to be the hard part. I missed last Sunday, I'm sorry. But So if you have a group of people just show up, how does this ordain? I mean, how do they? How is he examined? Who examines him? How do we know that examination was valid? Right. In an emergency, in, in normal situations, that it, it works out quite well. Right. In emergency situations, what we do is we look at the Saxon immigrants and we say, "Okay, you've been taught the Word of God. You know it. You know you know that you're a priesthood of believers that you're saved. Why? Because you were taught by the ministry in Germany, right?" We came over here following a minister. Well, you know, at least one guy didn't leave his call, you know, or, or uh, the bishop. Uh, um, and when he was taken out of the office, they then can put him in. In an emergency situation, you kind of go, no one's being excluded. So, you know, and so we say, whoever is here can, in effect, confirm that this is, in fact, being done rightly. As soon as you get one person in the, you know, one minister in the church, when we were independent and Pastor Arun came to us, well, we were independent, we were in fellowship with no one. So I simply ordained, you know, I'm the one who approved. Um, now, normally when we talk about ordination, we're only talking about the first call. Every call after that is simply a, a, a it's not the first examination that puts them in the call. It's simply a, a change in venue or, or a place that they're, they're going. Um, but that's kind of the way it goes. Question? Yes. Probably uh, against all what you're talking about in my lifetime, and since I've been involved a little bit with the reform, what I saw over there 
was that you would, they even had uh, places where the uh, mamas and daddies were very proud of their son or daughter that they could get up and preach. And they had, uh, you know, where they could go in there and be, uh, give their sermon and, and gain how many <laughs> brownie points you want to call for it. But I've seen that happen. I have seen also in places where uh, people have gotten, uh, they figure, I have studied very well scripture and I know it all. And it's basically, it's a pietistic attitude here that now I can go around and preach or teach. And I go, and I hear things coming out of them and I go, oh no. That's Americanism and that's, that, that is not unusual. Um, Brian can tell you a story. Got married, joined the church. How long were you, uh, uh, how long have you been in the church when the pastor you were at in Kentucky or whatever said? Like two years, a year and a half. Year and a half. He'd been in the church a year and a half. The pastor was leaving for vacation and told Brian, you're preaching next Sunday. <laughs> that Missouri Senate in our, you know, I mean, uh, um, yeah, exactly. What did you say, Brian? I mean, no, it's not unusual. I mean, oh. and, and, you know, most people have no idea what's going on. Um, concern. I mean, there are regular means in which the church kind of, uh, um, where, yeah, where, we, where we see these kind of things. And um, anyway, I don't know how far I want to go. Car. So Walter and some of those others left their call in Germany, but they had been ordained there. But then they come and now they are without a call. And so then, understanding ordination correctly, they would need to be ordained again by somebody? No, normally you would simply say, give the man a call. Somebody call him. You know, I need a group of believers. The, 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 the doctrine, the, the church had changed, it just moved location. It had just, cha- it had just moved location, right. Okay. Um, and so Walter had, a, I can't remember if he was in Dresden or where he was, you know, he was in, he was somewhere. And now that we're over here, well, find the you know, the group of those that are in Frona or wherever they're in and have them call him to be their pastor. This was a simple situation. But, but you know, due to pietism, due to this idea that, you know, we, the way they were in charge, things got crazy. Um, and they just didn't put it all together. I mean, when, you, when you're in the midst of it, you don't think about it all. Cheryl? Okay, well, you know I've been reading Walter's Law and Gospel again. I've been, this week, I was at the park where you're talking about here, how he believed in the laity that had these gifts. Okay, so is this, does the Missouri Senate still go by Walter? I mean, is this what you were taught in seminary or? Absolutely. This is the public doctrine. This is what they teach. Now, in practice, it, you can't tell the difference. There's still a call. There's still seminary. There's still uh, um, you're 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 not going to see in the ordination service. We hand over to you. You know it, they still use the old rites. So you're you're not going to see it. You will see some 
unusual practices. You will see seminarians on their vicarage year out preaching, and you kind of go, I thought they're not supposed to preach until they're ordained. Well, they're under a pastor and they're in training, so it's okay. And so I said, oh, okay. Um, There were those who, seminarians like myself, who were told, and the pastor just left and took a call, so you're going to do the sacrament of the altar. Now, most of us said, yeah, we're pretty sure we're not supposed to do that. Now, I don't think we should have done the other either, but we said no. Um, And some said no, and that was fine. I do know of seminarians who were told, you know, you're going to do this, and, and he said, listen, I am not going to do, you know, this is not going to the, the according to the confessions, um, you know, um, you know, you got to, and not understanding said, you're going to have to get the, uh, uh, the, the permission of the district president. One day later, there's a letter, the district president said, you can do this. I know someone that got permission from the synodical president, Al Berry at the time, you can do this. Now, it's not in the confession. You know, you're not supposed to. But, so there are practices that that show this. Well, he talked, he talked in there a lot of guys. He spent a, quite a bit of time talking about um, doing emergency baptisms. You know, the, the laity can do that. You know, so how, how is So, that once easy? again, emergency baptism. You know, you're at the hospital, a baby's going to die, it's not going to have baptism. Yes, you are to do an emergency baptism. You are not usurping the pastoral office, you're not taking it away, you're not, you know, no one's here to do this. And that's a situation in which, you know, um, I don't know how much a one-day-old child can understand. I'm going to preach to them on gospel, but I know <laughs> baptism is something God has given. And he says for the children, so we do it. This is where we would also say where there is in the church, and when they were over here, uh, um, they came over and, and emergency. You know, it's time to do something. You know, it may be that for a Sunday or two, someone needs to read a sermon or do. You're not a surfing. But let's get someone in the office right away. That being said, and that's why Grabau, when he was over, said, you know, you got this layman doing all this stuff for six months, and I'm in the same town at the church. You know, wait a minute. That's not emergency. Last thing is, there's no emergency Lord's Supper. Never has been, never will be. That's just not a situation for that, because you can always preach to them. Brian? I'm still struggling a bit with the pastors that left their call to come over. And I understand if there was a doctrinal issue in the church that they were fighting with, but they still can't abandon their congregation. they got to stay there and fight that fight. Now, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. We don't know that. But they can't just say, you know, I decided I'm going to go to America and come over here. That's abandoning your congregation and leaving your call. And that's not accepted. Correct. And so, and again, I think last time I dealt a little bit better with it, didn't you? Um, I think pietism would say, we've got to have all our dots in a row. Because if we are the enlightened ones, and we are the ones that have the real faith down in our heart, and we're on fire for Jesus, we've got to make sure that we got it all right. And I think we have to admit that, you know, there's many times we just don't have it all right. And so at some point you have to say, okay, I can't go back and fix everything. 
at some point you have to say, all right, that wasn't right. I, you know, whatever we did, I don't know. But now it's time. I got people here. They need to call me. Was it right for those things to happen? Probably not. Um, did they have reasons for? You know, at what at what point do you say I can't be a Lutheran minister in Germany? You know, for some of them, you say, well, you ought to be thrown in jail and killed, and then we know you can't do it. Well, okay, that that well, that works. But at some point, there's also a point where you go, yeah, this can't happen, and we're going to have a real, you know, those who want to be Lutheran come with us. So. I at least understand their struggle. It's a struggle. And it, and I, where is that point? You know, people said with us, too, you know, when we left, you know, at what point do you do this? Well, we had a process. Is that the only way? No, but at some point you have to flee falsehood. Yes, right. talking about the um, vicars preaching and giving out Lord's Supper. Is that where the ordination has no value? Is that what's happening there? Is that why they're being allowed to do that? They get around it by saying that you're underneath a pastor. As long as the seminary is under a pastor and that pastor's call is the one that is allowing this to happen. So, so no, it's not necessarily to, to that. Um, but they would say that, uh, um, when Walter said, the call from the laity is everything. The pastor's coming in and approving it, eh, not so much. I think that's the, that's the distinction. Do, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Walther is about, it's the voters' assembly, it's the people, it's the priesthood of believers. They are the ultimate authority, we've got no pope, we've got no government, and those pastors screwed it all up. So how, how is that priesthood being handed out to that vicar, I guess is what I'm asking. What's the thi- I don't, is that what they're thinking? No. The pastor that's in, I'm the pastor here, and here is my vicar who comes to train under me. And I write, I read his sermons, and I approve them, and I allow him to do this. He's just practicing. It, it's just an exception. That's what they would say. Now, the problem, you know, is a couple yeah, of no, One, no. you had Augsburg Confession 14, which says it's not supposed to happen. But the next thing is, I read, you know, took you through uh, this, and what does it say? You need to know that God intends to use this man. And with the vicar, you don't. You don't have the assurance. You've got someone up there without a call. No. Can he do a good job? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe better than the pastor. It really doesn't matter. The point is, is that we don't have the call assurance to do that. So that's the, the point. It's the certainty of the sacrament. The Lord places the authority to administer the sacrament in the office of the ministry. Now, when when the minister gives this authority to a vicar who's not in the office, does does that now mean that the sacrament is invalid? And the point is, we don't really know the answer to that question. But if there's doubt, it shouldn't be done. I think I think that's the problem. And how can I say this? 
pietism puts most of the stress on the event happening rather than on why it happens. Pietism completely undermines humanity because it comes from man's basic I have the word and it slipped away. The, the basic inclination of man's heart is whatever I want to do is right. And it doesn't really make any difference whether it's right or not. That's my basic starting point. And the scriptures give us starting points. And pietism basically rejects that. that that's Okay. So there are so many ways to mistrust. There are so many ways to, you know, I mean, you have, you have people, you know, I mean, how many times have you had people come to you and say, oh, yeah, that pastor's not doing right. He didn't tell you about this. Did he tell you about this? Oh, you know, you know. And then the next pastor comes along and we kind of go, you know, in, in religion, you know, there are so many charlatans. There are so many. And there are even guys in the office wearing collars and you don't know what to do with this. Yes, I get it. So I've gone through to show you with this how important it is for our assurance. It should have been the same thing for the Saxons. They should have said, we've got an assurance that Pastor Stephan, the name Bishop Abway Orr, has a call. And then, when he got deposed, they should have said, let's put someone else in the office. And they had about five guys and about five groupings of laity, and each one of them should have called one of those guys and put them in there and said, great, now we know. Now, if they're preaching falsehood, let's get rid of them. You know, let's not be, but that's what should have happened. So we can have that assurance. And that's, that's the, the point, that there's so many ways that you can, you know, I'm not quite sure, I messed this up. I know it's okay, but tell me why it's okay for another ordained minister to preach in your pulpit when we, our congregation didn't call it. Good. So, there are occasions in which we talk about altar and pulpit fellowship. Alright? When we talk about altar and pulpit fellowship, what do we mean? We are in doctrinal agreement. So, if you go down to Bishop Heiser's church, you can take communion. He's not your pastor, I am. But, we have formally recognized this same thing happens uh, um, and especially you see this in the ordination, or a, a man coming to take a call. So, if I pass away, you call someone else in, and the ministers of Eldona come, whether it's an ordination and they lay their hands on the man, or whether it's simply another call and they are here to... Uh, what does it say? We are in agreement. So, there, because of that, there are times at which... Um, Pastor Stefanski may come and preach in our pulpit and I may preach in his. Now, I can't do that of my own authority, you know, the, the vicar. I can't just deputize anyone that I want. But I talk to my elders and I say, all right, these are people we're in fellowship with. You know, as a show of unity uh, of our agreement, we're going to have a swap this Sunday. You know, is that okay? Uh, you know, I don't want I mean... Obviously, we all are in agreement, and you're already in this fellowship. If it's not, you know, either don't do it this Sunday or do another, you know. But if you got a problem with the guy, we need to do something else. But that's that's where that Paul term pulpit fellowship 
comes in. But I, that's why I would say with the ordination, it actually shows, hey, visiting pastors come and say, yeah, we approve this guy. Is that... And that's talking about us as the church as a whole. It's one. Yes. So, not one group, right. not whatever, yeah. but, but, yeah, all who is a part of it. The New Testament have examples that, you know, Paul would, would preach to churches where there were other ministers already there. In fact, Paul, when he goes out on a missionary journey, even though he's an apostle and he could do it all by himself, because God called him immediately, he doesn't. He works with the congregation, and it says that the congregation lays hands on Paul and Barnabas and sends them out, saying, we're sending you out to go and preach in this, on this missionary journey, and then they go. Um, he always tries to include the whole church. Okay, a couple things. Um, priesthood, I was asked about the priesthood of believers. The priesthood of believers is real. It is true. 1 Peter 2 is the uh, passage uh, that speaks about it. In chapter 2, verse 5, it says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. Here it calls it a holy priesthood. What is your purpose? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A little bit later in verse 9 it says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those are the two main, there are two in Revelation, it's just in passing, but these are the two passages. Is it, is it, so, that all believers are a part of the priesthood. The Lutheran confessions speak of this in two spots. And that is talking about you talking about your job. Um, it speaks about it in uh, the power and the primacy of the Pope, where it talks about how this uh, duty to place a man in the office is uh, confirmed by the declaration of Peter, you are a royal priesthood. So it's been given to you because you are a royal priesthood. Um, I'll come back to that. And it's also included in Apology, Article 24, where it talks about the sacrifices in the New Testament, as St. Peter teaches, in 1 Peter 2, 5, and the Holy Priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice. I was asked, all right, so I get what the pastor is supposed to do. Preach the word, administer the sacraments. What's the third one? Office of the keys. Administer the keys. What is the priesthood to do? By him, therefore, let us offer up the sacrifices of praise continually, and he adds the interpretation, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. He bids us offer praises. It is things like Prayer, thanksgiving, confession, and the like. What is your job? To declare the praises of God. To listen to his word, to pray, to give thanks, to teach your children, um, to, you might say, assist the church and whatever the, the laity, you know, you may uh, uh, go out and pull the bagworms off of our uh, bushes. You may fold the bulletins. 
you may help to light the camp, you know, whatever it is, um, you may give money to support, you know, paying the water bill and, and doing whatever. These are the things which you have been given to do. This is your job. This is confirmed by Peter who says you are a priesthood. So, why is it that the church can call, elect, and ordain pastors? Well, because here the words of Christ apply, which testify that the keys were given to the church, as a whole, and not to merely certain individuals, like I said it before, and it gives the passage, Shirley, check this one out, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. about that one. You've probably been taught a pietistic kind of idea in which wherever two or three Jesus is here where is he? He's down, down, down in my heart. What are the Lutheran confessions? How do they interpret this? Where two or three are gathered, what's going on? They called a pastor, and that pastor's preaching God's word, and you can be sure that where the preaching is, there Jesus is in the midst of them. Matthew 28, Shirley, I gave you that one last time. Go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching, and well, I will be with you always to the end of the age. What does he say? Not this. Jesus is everywhere, don't worry, but it's where baptizing and teaching is going on, there I am, I will be with you all. You can, you can, you have no doubt, where can you find Jesus working? Where the word and sacraments, baptizing and teaching. It's that, that's the distinction, and it, the, the Luther confessions make it so very clear. You know, I think the thing we don't recognize here is that where two or three are gathered together, what happens naturally? Usually, sin. Sin multiplies. That's right. Sin multiplies. And what happens when sin multiplies? Authority goes away. This magic word authority that Americans do not understand, the authority of God is where? In his word, in the Lord's Supper, in baptism, and in the church ministry. The more people you get in the church, the more sin you have, but God's authority overcomes that. That's why it says gathered in my name. Right. I mean, that's that's, that's the key to that verse. Gathered in my name. Go to your white sheet. Go to page 267 on your white sheet. Um, this will conclude and give me my lead-in for next time. At the bottom of the page, um, it says the nature of democracy is compromise. Bottom of page 267 on your white sheet. You have to go all the way to the kind of the back pages of this. 
Um, it looks like this. It looks like this. Page 267. Keep going. Keep going. Are you there? Yeah. Perfect. All right. What Walter actually accomplished in 1841 was, first of all, he gave a new direction to a line of thought which had already been laid down by Beza. That he eliminated a few of his extremes and thus developed a position far more acceptable to the regional elements in both major factions. So, this is what Walter did. Page 267. Consider the points that Walter brought to Beza's system, those designed to protect the dignity of the ministerial office. First of all, although Walter said, oh yeah, yeah, the laity, all the believers, they have it all. The voters' assembly is supreme. They do everything. He did say, well, now wait, you do have to transfer. You have to confer it over to others. So this idea of everybody a minister, Walter would never have gone for that. Never have gone for that. Um, although he said everyone individually has it, he he still would have said, you've got to give it over. So the uber tragums lera. Uh, the transfer. Second, Walter said, let's make sure that you know that the, the call is divine. It's not by human arrangement. It's a divine call. It's the only divine call in his church. Okay, good, good. Third, Luther sa- or Walter says that the absolute authority, Pastor Rinch talked about authority, Where who has the authority? Well, the word of God has the authority. It's not the office, it's not something it's the word, the word has authority, which is good, yep, the word of God ought to rule, um, and in fact it, you know, it rules the pastor, it rules the people all, and finally fourth the permanence of tenure that is, that the divine call is not time limited you don't do a contract uh, and you hire a pastor for two years or a year or whatever you do um, uh, that is not allowed uh, that it is an ongoing, it's permanent. Um, it's been given. These are the things that Walter provided and said, um, I want to add this to what Vesa said, and then we've got a good doctrine. Well, that Uber Trugans there and this everybody having it, you know, wasn't right, but some of those others were. Nevertheless, uh, Dr. Rast in this particular uh, paper goes on to say, maybe that was fine at Walther's day, but over time, everything's changed. And in a day in which everyone's a minister, well, if everybody's a minister, then, you know, you, that, that we may hand it over, we may not. And he talks about divine disposal. Well, you know what? If, if we don't really like the guy, you know, we'll find a way to get rid of him. Um, we'll quit paying him. We won't fix up, fix up the parsonage. We will talk to the district president and see if we can get something worked out. And we'll try to, you know. And more than that, if you'll resign, we'll give you uh, six weeks' pay. You know, otherwise we're going to treat your life like hell. What do you think? Yeah, I guess I'll resign. Um, when that happens, or in the age of contemporary worship, where the laity themselves say, no, this is what we want you to do. You're our servant. Um, yeah, it's probably. Uh, he goes on to ask, how well is our, and here's the word that is going to lead me into next time. How well is our polity serving us at this point? Wait a minute. Polity? Where did this come from? We haven't gotten to polity yet. What's polity? Polity is government, not not oh, secular government, but 
how do we organize the church? Yes, I know we have a pastor, and yes, I know we have people. But how do we organize the way the church does things? And I'm talking about how do we uh, own property? Who owns it? How do we have meetings? Who runs the meetings? How do we have um, uh, uh, decorations? How do we have services? How do we do this? He wants to know about this. He says, the problem is not Waltherianism. The fault does not lie in Walther's doctrine of church and office as articulated in Kirk and Doc. Yeah, I don't know if he's right about that. I think there's some problems here. But the problem lies in the misinterpretation of nature quality. Congregational autonomy, the congregation being king, has become an excuse for a congregation or a pastor to do whatever it pleases. And then, Senate becomes advisory. So that, in the affairs of its radically independent, logical uh, local congregations, this, I would offer, may best be described not as Rothianism, but Bayesianism. It becomes radical, individualistic, congregationalism. And he says, that's a problem. Well, going on. Some would argue the only solution to the challenges facing American Lutheranism and by association, the Missouri Senate, he says, is a return to an Episcopal form of church government. Rast says, there are some who have said, the problem is having a governance that is ruled by congregational polity like Walter set up. We need to go to an Episcopal polity where there is a bishop. Hmm. He says, some are saying that. He does go on to say, uh, um, he says, such appeals miss the Lutheran point that adiaphorous political forms do not carry with themselves the ability to solve problems facing. He's saying is, it's neither commanded nor forbidden what kind of church polity you have. He's right. So will that solve your problems? No, it won't solve your problems. But he is alluding to, what is the problem with democratic? Democratic polity, uh, um, and he goes on to talk about the baggage that it takes. How does it work out in a congregation that has congregational polity? Next time, we're going to get the blue sheets. We'll put all the rest of them away, and we'll take a look and say, okay, what kind of governance is there? What do we have? Um, how's it working? What do you think? We'll take a look at that next time. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you that you have given us many assurances uh, that when we hear the pure word of God, that we know that you are working through it. Um, we ask you uh, to hold up uh, the pastors, that they might be uh, brave and courageous, and we ask that you would uh, hold us up as well, uh, so that we might uh, trust in those words, and that we might be a priesthood declaring your praises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.